One other thing I got to take care of real quick is, is I needed to do something a few, it was months ago now. Um, I made a comment up here that wasn't 100% accurate as I was informed. So I just got to say, hey, all right, I need to correct it a little bit. So a group of us went bowling and I left out the fact that I made a statement that made it sound like that I won everything. But the truth of the matter was, I was second to last. And I just called out the person that was in last place. And so the people that beat me were like, hey, you lost. And then I called out the person that lost and made it just sound like it was even worse for them. And I, last night, Brandon beat me last night at Scattergories. Um, so yeah, so I just want to call that out. Brandon beat me last night and uh, yeah. I only beat him by one point in bowling, and he beat my by like three points last night or something like that. Seven. Okay. All right. Seven. <laughs> uh, but you didn't win the whole thing, though, right? All right. Alyssa did. All right. There we go. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. I said I would do it, so I did, right? So, hey, what's uh, before we jump into the sermon series and before we get too far off track, let's pray. All right. God, we just thank you for your faithfulness. And God, we just pray, Lord, as we take a moment to step into your word, which is truth, which you've given us, Lord, as, 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 as a guide to hear your voice and for you to direct us in this life. We pray, Lord, that you just speak in this moment through your word and that your Holy Spirit will direct these words. God, that, that the words that will hit our ears, that, that your Holy Spirit will excite them in our hearts and cause us in faith to step into the things that you're calling us to do, to live our life full on for you and for your glory. God, we thank you so much for that. In your name we pray, amen and amen. This sermon series, we've been calling it Good News and we're gonna continue to do so all the way through Mother's Day. Uh, here at this campus, we've been in Ephesians chapter three. In verse 6, we introduced last week in the message translation, and it says this, The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all of their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. In verse 11, it says this, this was his eternal plan, which was carried out through Christ Jesus. So what we've been talking about in this sermon series is, is that God has a plan and he's been carrying that out since the beginning of time, that he's been making his plan known to us. It's important for us to hear that and to know that, that in eternity's past, God set things into motion, that he had a plan. God was not caught off guard by the way things went. When Adam and Eve made their mistakes and did all the things that they did in the garden, he wasn't saying, oh shoot, how do I fix this? He knew what was happening. He knew what was gonna take place and he knew all that was gonna happen afterwards. God has got a plan and he wants that plan to be known to you. A lot of times we can feel like, and we have been told by society, by church at large, that God is withholding things from us. That God, if we do the right song and dance, and we wear the right clothes, and we do the right things, that God will maybe tell us what we want to know. But God's plan is known, and he wants it to be known to you. How he's working this plan out in eternity's past through your life, he wants you to know it. 
We'll never be able to understand at the beginning the entirety of it. But as we chase him and follow him, God wants us to know what he's doing. And God wants us to see what he's doing in our lives and through our lives. God has a plan and he's working things out. He's in control of all things. And because he has a plan and he's the one that made the plan, he is in control. He is the creator, right? He's the one that set things in motion. And because he's the creator, he is God. Because he's the creator, he's boss. He gets to call the shots, right? Like he gets to say, this is wrong, this is right, this is what I want you to do, this is not what I want you to do. I want you to stop that. I want you to go here. I want you to, that's who he gets to be because he's the one that's got the plan. He's the one that made the plan. He's the one that's making the plan happen. He created the plan, and as the creator, he is the one who gets to be in control of all things, and he's the one who gets to say, this is the way I want things to go. And that is absolutely crucial. It's absolutely important for us to be able to see that and understand that. This little understanding right here is so pivotal to the way we live our lives for Christ. In fact, this is the starting point for the Christian message. This is the, the place that we should, in our understanding, know what the Christian message is. So many times people can ask us, what is the gospel? What is God about? Who is Jesus? It has to start with the fact that God is God. He has always been and he will always be. And that God has got something that he's doing and he's doing it through Jesus Christ and he's in control. He's God, he's creator, and I'm created. So that means I have to say, yes, sir. You have to say, yes, sir. Right? That's the way it is. That's the way God set things in motion. That is central to the message of Christianity, and we have to start there. The problem is, is that a lot of times when people trying to make explanation of what the gospel is, make explanation of what God is doing, is they start elsewhere. They start somewhere else, and that's not a good thing. I joked around last week, right? If I was to bring my seven-year-old daughter up here and give her a bow and arrow, you all would just freak out and start ducking and hiding beneath your chairs, right? Because she's seven and that's the first time she's ever hold, held a bow and arrow. You have no clue where that thing's going to go, right? It's just going to go wherever it is. That's not where to start. You do not put a dangerous, lethal weapon in the hands of a seven-year-old in front of a bunch of people for the first time, right? You give her something that can't kill anybody, and you shoot at a target that doesn't have a pulse, right? So that's where you start. When it comes to the Christian message, you have to start in the right place. And the right place is, is that God is God, and we're not. He's got a plan, and he's working his plan out, and that plan has already been accomplished through Jesus Christ. We have to understand that. We have to get that. We have to see that. That is where the good news starts. And so as we walked through that and looked at that, we moved into last week a little bit of talking about the fact that if there is good news, then there is bad news. For every positive Thing in this life that happens, there is a negative. For every cause, there's an effect. And so if there's this good news, what is the bad news? And, and it's just as important for us to understand the bad news as it is to understand the good news. And the truth of the matter is, is if you can't accept the bad news, and if you don't know what the bad news is, you can't know what the good news is. And so we really have to step into this place and say, what is the bad news? so that I can truly accept and understand the good news. 
Charles Spurgeon, he says this, if you sincerely believe a lie, you will suffer the consequences. You must not only be sincere, but you must also be right. See, when you have to know the truth of the gospel and what the gospel really is. It's absolutely imperative to how we live our lives as Christians and the reality of us being followers of Christ is essential on this fact, even at all. Where our faith is placed and what we understand our faith to be, it determines who we are as followers of Christ if we're even followers of Christ. And it's important for us to understand that and to really engage in that. And so tonight we're gonna be looking at the Israelites because it's always better to judge somebody else than it is to judge your own self. So we're gonna look at their mistakes instead of looking at our own, but you know that I'm paralleling it to all of our own mistakes anyway. So we're gonna be in Judges tonight a little bit. And looking at this book of Judges, it's, it's a challenging book. You go through Judges and you see all kinds of immorality, you see all kinds of debauchery. I mean, there's just some brutal things that happen in Judges and you see people at their worst and it's a difficult book to read through sometimes. But it's an important book because this book shows what we're capable of. This book shows the pattern in which we walk on, what we do, and kind of how we live our lives if we just focus on the wrong things, if we don't understand the truth of what God is doing and what he's set out to do and what he's already accomplished through Christ. This can be what happens. In Judges, you see the Israelites in a place where they've gone to begin to take possession of the promise that God had given them. So when they set out from, uh, when they set out from Egypt, some 40 years, 50 years before this, they set out and God was going to give them their land and they were going to step into the promise that God had for them and he was going to make them the most wealthy and prosperous and known nation because he had chosen them to be the nation that he was going to display his glory through, that through them he was going to show the world and tell the world who he is and what he's doing. And so Israel sets out and they're on this thing and he does all these incredible things in Egypt to show them that he's God and show the Egyptians that he's God and he's doing all this incredible stuff and they walk through the Red Sea and, and on dry land and all the Egyptians get swallowed up in the water and, and, and they go out and then they wander around on an 11 day journey for 40 years because they just couldn't accept a couple things and they struggle with some big things. And it was so much so that God said, listen, you can't trust me as God, and, and I, I kind of have a hard time with that, and I told you I'm going to do what, I'm gonna, what I said I'm going to do, and you've sinned against me, and so all of you are going to die, and you're not going to get your promised land until you're dead and your sons are able to take it. So now we're in this place where their sons are getting ready to take, and they're stepping into the promise that God has given them, and they're going to these different camps and the villages, and they're taking possession of the land. And as they're going into it, they make a bunch of mistakes and they do a bunch of things that they shouldn't do and they fail to do some things that God asked them to do. And so as they're there, they're kind of struggling instead of prospering, instead of seeing the goodness of God, they're seeing some difficulties and they're seeing all kinds of issues that they wish they weren't seeing. And, and so they're trying to figure things out and they keep making even more mistakes 
Instead of making the better choices and the right choices, they're making more mistakes. And so every time they get in this place of, man, we messed up and things are really bad and we're hurting here. God, we need you to help us. We need you to save us. God raises up a leader and it's a judge, right? So they had Moses and then they had Joshua. And then God begins just to time after time raise up these judges. These judges come on the scene and Israel's like, whoo, God saved us. Things are better. Whoo, thank God. Okay. All right, now we don't need you anymore. And then the judge dies, and then they go into sin, and they're oppressed, and things are just really bad for them. And they're like, God, we need you. Help us out over here. And then he raised up a judge, and that's just the cycle that they kind of go through. And so in Judges chapter 1, we're just going to pick one of the tribes tonight just to kind of look at them a little bit and see what happened there. Judges chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, The Lord was with the people of Judah. And they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. What, what, why is this a big deal? In, in Deuteronomy, as they're getting ready to, to do these things, God tells them, and he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. You need to take possession of the land, and you need to do everything you can to destroy every living thing. And I know a lot of people, they have a hard time with that. When you read the Old Testament, a lot of people wrestle with it. A lot of theologians wrestle with it. You know, it's like, could God really do that? Would God be willing to say destroy everything? Again, it kind of comes back to he's God. He knows what's going to happen. He knows all the things that takes place. He knows the people that made their decisions. And so he's God. We have to trust him and we have to believe him. So God's saying, listen, this is what I'm doing. So he's like, you got to destroy every living thing. Here's the important thing of why. In Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 20, verse 18, he says this. This will prevent the people of the land from teaching you to imitate their detestable customs in the worship of their gods, which would cause you to sin deeply against the Lord your God. See, the Israelites during this time, they kept going through these cycles of sin, and they keep going through all of this different stuff, and they were chosen to be God's people to declare to the world who he was and what he was doing, and they were supposed to be like the people, right? And, but they're going through these cycles of sin and suffering, and they're going through all of these issues and all of these things that are happening to them, and, and it's just, it's, it's like, what's happening? You know, God had guaranteed to them. He said, listen. Hey, if you do what I tell you to, and you go where I tell you to go, and you do everything down to the letter, like I'm telling you, I will be with you, I will bless you, I will care for you, I will provide for you. You will have no reason for fear, you will have no reason for worry. You'll be able to accomplish things that blow you away and that shock you, like just do what I told you to do. Not enters the problem. Is that God steps in and he says, I'm the creator, and I want you to do what I tell you to do. And there's just something inside of us that says, uh-uh, not going to do it. Like, it's inside of us, right? And that's the part of the bad news that's really hard to accept, right? Like, it's really hard to accept that there's something inside of you that is so broken that at every opportunity, you will reject God and run from God. There's something so hard for us to hear that like, hey, listen, at the core of who you are, you're not a good person. Right? Like I said last week, I'll change it to make it a little bit easier, right? At the core of who I am, I'm not a good person, right? And it's hard for us to accept that. It's hard for us to, to breathe that in and just be like, what do you mean I'm not a good person? 
What do you mean there's something wrong with me? But if you've ever raised a child or been around a child before they even speak, you can see there's something evil inside of them. <laughs> right? It's just there. It's just present. And what it is, it's sin. It's us. Since Adam and Eve, they declared their independence from God and said, God, I don't need you. I'm going to take this life thing that you created on my own, and I'm going to figure it out. And since they did that, we have done the same thing. We've stepped into this place, and we constantly, on a regular basis, we declare our independence from God, and we step into these moments like the Israelites where we say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Oh, thank God you're there. And then we go, okay, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to figure this thing out. That's our habit. That's our tendency. That's our propensity of what we do. And the reality of it is, is because of sin, we're constantly struggling and we're constantly trying to figure out this thing that God's called us to do, which is to live our lives in him in obedience to him. And so what that makes is, is sin is a person's rejection of God's authority as creator over them. That's what sin is. Sometimes we try to figure it out and make it a little bit less offensive by picking out different sins. The sins that we don't like. So that sin... This, eh, God's okay with. But here's the thing. God is holy, right? So God can never overlook. God can never ignore sins. A sin is a sin, and a sin is when you reject God's authority over you as creator. When you say, I don't have to listen to you. I'm going to do what I want to do. That is sin. And it can look as nice and beautiful and sweet as it can, sin is sin, and God cannot ignore sin. God cannot just be oblivious to it. He has to acknowledge it, and there has to be a consequence for sin. And sin is not just the rejection of God's authority over us. It's also the rejection that God has authority to do what he said he would do, right? We step into this place and say, ah, you can't have authority over me, and then we also step into this place and say, I don't know if you're really gonna come through on that. We get in these places where we just kind of reject God all over the place. We reject what he's going to do, what he said he was going to do. And see, here in this story, as we look at the Israelites, he warned them that if they weren't careful, if they surrounded themselves with people that weren't for him, that weren't living their lives for God, that weren't aware of him and what he had called them to do, that those people would cause them to look everywhere except for God. And he wanted them to be set on looking to them, believing in him, trusting in him, following him. And they said, well, we don't know about that. So they were on the task of claiming the promise that he had given them. They were in the land, the promised land that their fathers had to die for, for them to go into. They were in the promised land and they were there, right? They were there taking it, not their dads, because their dads had said, we're not going to do what God said. We're not going to follow God. We're going to reject his plan, and we're going to kind of do our own thing. We're going to figure this thing out on our own way. And they wandered around eating bread that fell from the sky and birds that fell from the sky for 40 years. Right? And they start taking the land. And God does miraculous thing after miraculous thing in front of them. They see all of these incredible things that they didn't do them themselves. And they acknowledge that it's God. And then all of a sudden they get to this place where they're saying, okay, well, we're kind of where we want to be. It's not exactly what we want, but I'm willing to settle for it. And I'm willing to walk away from what God has for me. I want to reject who he is. I want to reject what he's called me to do. And I'm just going to accept my own life. And I'm going to accept my own fate. 
So here's the thing is for each and every one of us, in order for us to move towards God, you have to take a step away from the lies that keep you from trusting his promises. In Joshua chapter 17, verse 16, the descendants of Joseph, they responded. They're talking to Joshua. And Joshua's talking to these tribes and he says to them, hey, why don't you just go take it, right? They're complaining, hey, our, our home's not big enough. And so he's just like, well, why don't you just go make it bigger? You know, and they're just like, well, it's true. I'm not going to keep that voice up because that would just be annoying for you. It's true that the hill country is not large enough for us. But all the Canaanites in the lowlands have iron chariots, both those in Bethshan and surrounding settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. They are too strong for us. See, what happened is, is these Israelites, they were told by God to go and do something, and they stepped out and started doing what God had told them to do. But once they got into the place of doing what God had told them to do, they didn't follow it completely. They didn't say, you're God, I'm going to do it, yes, sir. They didn't say, okay, I'm going to do what you had asked me to do. They said, I'm going to step into it, I'm going to start to do what you want to, and then I'm going to finish by doing what I want to do. And what they were told not to do was to not leave people there that worship these false gods because God was saying, listen, I know your hearts, I know your ways, I know what you do. Listen, I want you to be my chosen people. I want you to have my promises. I want you to have the life that I've called you to have. But I'm just telling you, if you leave these people here, they're gonna cause you to look anywhere else other than me. And if that happens, you're gonna be sinning. And I'm telling you, you do not wanna deal with the consequences. So what happens? They go in and they start doing things and they get into this place and they're like this is really hard this is really difficult I don't know if we can do this God said that he was going to lead us God said that he was going to go before us God said that we wouldn't even have to work as hard that he was going to make all these things happen but they have chariots and they're iron I don't know if we can do this and they started to spread these lies amongst themselves that they are too strong if you want to buy into the lies of the world, you will become idle and you will drift from the destiny that God has for you. That's what we're inclined to do. When we do anything other than look to God and submit to his ways and trust in his ways, when we look anywhere else, when we hope in anything else, when we live for anything else, every single time we get to this place where we plateau, we're idle, and then we find ourselves far from where God wants us to be, far from God's grace, far from his favor, and we're sitting there, we're saying, I need help, where is God at? That's the way we're inclined, that's a propensity, that's what we do, that's the bad news. That's who we are, that's what we do. We can see it in their story, we can see it in our story, and it makes it even worse, is just to help just a little bit, right? Give a little bit of context to this. Like, makes it even a little bit more fun. These are Joshua's, like, people, right? The ones that are like, hey, uh, the land, like it's a little too small, it's a little crowded. We want some bigger land. Like they were coming to Joshua who was leading the whole country. And they're thinking that because Joshua is like their guy, that he's gonna be like, oh, I got you, don't worry about it. You don't have to do what God told you to do. You know, I, I don't worry about it. You don't have to put any work. You don't have to do any of this stuff. I'm just gonna hook you up. I'm just gonna hook you up. See, they got to this place where they began to accept 
something that was not the word of God. They accept a lie that was coming from the enemy, right? That was coming from the world. They accepted this lie and they begin to get idle and they refused to do the work God had called them to do to step into the life that God had called them to live. And so what happens then is they move into this place where they're saying, hey, things are too hard. I don't know. I'm not sure about God. I don't really want to do the work. And then what happens is, is they find themselves in a place where they're far, far away from God. In Judges chapter 4, verse 3, we see of this, this is what happens, this is what the results. We don't want to take it, it's a little bit too hard, they got chariots, so we're not going to do it, so we're just going to kind of leave them there, and we're just going to start living with them and hanging out with them. I know you told me not to do that, and I know you're God, I know you're creator, I know you know all things, like I know that you see the past, present, future all at the same time, but I'm smarter, and they have iron chariots, and I'm not going to do it. And so they just live and they think everything's fine. And then all of a sudden in Judges chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, dear God, 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. For 20 years they were oppressed. And they reached a point of desperation where they said, God, we need you. God, we're far from you. See, what happens, what the bad news is, is that every single time, just the way we're built, it's just what's inside of us, that every single time, it's this is what God said we're supposed to do. This is what God said he would do. And then it's, we know better, I'm gonna do my own thing. That's the bad news. Like, that's what we do. Like, we look at God and say, you're creator, right? You breathe the stars into existence. Like, there's still little creatures and, and, and big creatures and all kinds of things that we're still discovering on this planet that we live on, that you created. We're still discovering things that you created. Like, you made all of this stuff a reality by saying it. But I know better. That, that's where we are. That's the bad news of who we are. And the problem with that is, is that Satan knows that that's who we are. And he knows that that is our corrupt nature. And so Satan is able to cause the havoc and he's able to cause all the issues and he's able to cause all the problems and he's able to cause all the frustrations and all of those things in our lives because he knows that's our corrupt nature. And so he appeals to our corrupt nature. He goes to you and says, hey, don't you really want this? Hey, wouldn't this be really good? Hey, I know you just read in the Bible that God said, but I mean seriously. How lame is that? Right? Like, he appeals to our corrupt nature and he speaks to the things that we desire. He speaks to the things that we want. He speaks to the things that we're interested in. He speaks to the things that lead us to a place where we say, I'm gonna accept this lie. And once we accept that lie, we find ourselves in this idle place. And once we hang out in that idle place where we refuse to do the work of God and allow the work of God to be active in our lives, what happens is, is we get pushed away and we find ourselves far from God and running from God's protection, running from his grace, running from the destiny he has for us because that's just where we go. That's where we go. That's where we're leaning. That's where we're at. And if we don't see the truth of the bad news, we'll never accept the good news. If you don't see the truth of the bad news, you'll never accept the good news. See, just like the Israelites, 
We can't just get into this place where we accept God as a manipulator of our circumstances because every single time we'll lose our need for him once our circumstances have changed. If we're just like, God, I need you to fix this. God, I know when I was 22, you told me to marry him, but really need some work done on this one right here. Right? Like if we just say, it's like, oh, okay, God did it, great. Okay, I'm, I'm done with you. I don't, uh, God, I need a new job. And then we get a new job. And we're like, okay, God, I'm just going to do my thing. Like if that's where we find ourselves, if that's where we continually live our lives, we find ourselves in this cycle of brokenness. We find ourselves in this cycle where things are not going the way we want them to do. Where we find ourselves in this place where we're constantly broken and discouraged and beat up and exhausted and destroyed. And we find ourselves in shambles and we say, that's not what this thing says. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we step into these places where we've started at the wrong place. We didn't start at God as creator, and he's got this way of life that he wants me to live, and he's got this path that he's chosen, and he's calling me to live a certain way, and he's modeled that through Christ, and I need to follow that, and I need to do what he's told me to do. Instead of starting there, we start at, well, this went wrong here. And so then all of a sudden it becomes, well, if God would fix this, then he could prove to me that he's God. Like we need to get to a place and say, he's God and I'm not. Because he created everything and he's in charge of all things. I don't need God to prove to me that he's God because he's God. And if we can start there and accept that he's God and because he's God and accept that he has a plan and then he's working that plan out and he's already worked that plan out through Christ and then he's saying, hey, and I'm making a way for you to step into that. If we can't accept that and if we can't acknowledge that, then who is he to us? And that's the problem. That's how we get into this broken cycle. That's how we get into these places. And, and, and we see in their story, we see in our story that we have this need for a savior. We have a need for a savior. And we have a need for a savior. And until we see that need, until we understand, I can't do this thing on my own, until we understand, that's my cycle. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to live. And until we accept that and acknowledge that, until we say there's got to be some way out of that other than me and it's got to be you doing it, until we accept that, we will never change. We'll never change. That's why people that preach a gospel that's all about managing habits and changing this and changing you get to this place where you come about the rules and you come about all those things that you have to do and not do and you should do and shouldn't do and you're really good at it for a while and then you find out you don't like rules and you cheat on the rules and then you justify why you're cheating on the rules and then God's okay with you cheating on the rules and then God's no longer God. It's not the gospel. There's a gospel out there, you do whatever you want to. God's for you, you just do what you want. As long as you don't kill anybody, as long as you don't steal anything, everything's good. That's not the way it works. Because Jesus, he set a standard. He said, listen, you might not pick up the knife, but if you have the thoughts, like that's how holy God is. That's how holy he is. And we've got to see that we are in absolute need of a savior. Is it really 630? 
Okay, I'm almost done. You guys are awesome. So we need a savior. And until we acknowledge that we need a savior, we're never gonna change. See, the judges, they came and they went. And every single one of them, they excited the Israelites to turn their hearts back to God. And then at some point, the Israelites turned away from God and they gave up on everything. And every single judge, all the way through Samson, they all died failures and they all died with the Israelites having their hearts bent towards false idols and the things that God said to stay away from. Every single one of them. Because the Israelites looked at their situation and said, iron chariots, iron chariots, instead of saying, God, here's what he said, and I'm submitting to that. They stepped into it and said, ooh, that person's living a really good life and look how easy their life is. I know he said to take this land, but I'm gonna take this one instead and I'm gonna kill a bunch of people that I don't need to kill just because it's easier. And they step into that place every single time. See, the depressing cycle of rebellion and rescue, it underscores the fact that there needs to be an ultimate and divine rescue from the source of that rebellion. And that's the beauty of the story. That even though things you look at, man, this is a hard book, and wow, there's a lot of things, and man, we all have somber faces because it just seems so hopeless, and this is discouraging, and he just acknowledged it at 6.30, and he's still talking. Man, like, this is so much, but here's the beauty of the story, is that the good news, that's the bad news. The good news is, is that our hope is not in our ability to achieve right standing with God on our own, but rather in the faithfulness of God's grace. That's the good news. Man, doesn't it make the good news so beautiful? When you understand how bad the bad news is and then it impacts every single one of us, that never one of us, not a single one of us, get a get out of jail free card. Every single one of us, every single one of us, we're in a place where we're going to reject God. And because he's holy and he's creator and he's powerful and he's majestic beyond anything you can imagine, he has the right to demand that we be perfect as he's perfect. And we can't do it. And because we can't do it, from the very beginning of time, he said, I'm going to make a way, and that way is Jesus. And that's my plan. It's always been my plan. That you do not have to earn my favor, and you do not have to earn my grace, and you do not have to earn my love, because Jesus is going to do it for you. There's no way you can do it on your own, so I'm going to do it for you. That's the good news is that in our own efforts, we screw it up every time. In our own efforts, we royally mess things up every single time. In our own efforts, we're discouraged and we're depressed and we're saddened and we're emotionally broken and we're financially broken and we're spiritually broken. But through Christ, through Christ, he's made us right with him. The worship team can come up. The gospel is the good news. Because it doesn't just say, you're broken and here's a chance to fix it. It says that on your own, 
you are irrevocably broken. And as such, you'll forever be against God and outside of his protection, love, and grace. But, the most powerful word, but, <laughs> on your own, you can't do it. On your own, you find yourself in the place where you're discouraged and you're desperate. On your own, that's the way it works out. But, but through Christ, God is for you and God is with you. The good news is this, that through Christ, you are at peace with God. And because you're at peace with God, you can be at peace with yourself. And because you're at peace with yourself, you can be at peace with others. The good news is this, is that God has a plan. He's always had a plan, and that plan has been Jesus Christ through the beginning of time. And through Jesus Christ, you, me, we are accepted and welcomed into his presence. The good news is, is that through Christ, you are made new. The good news is, is that through Christ, you are chosen and that you are made a child of God, that you can come boldly and confidently into his presence. The good news is, is that through Christ, you are full of life and purpose when you're living your eyes on God. The good news is, is that your consistency and your inconsistencies, they don't matter because what matters is, is the consistency of God's grace shown through Jesus Christ. That his love is poured out and it's not through what you can do, but it's through what Christ did. The good news is, is that God is for you and God is with you. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because when you live in a place where you feel that God is against you, it's miserable and it's lonely and it's painful and you feel like there's no hope, there's no way for hope, no question you're ever gonna experience joy. What's peace? But when God is for you, it's not about what you drive. It's not about the house you have. It's not about your bank account. It's not about the relationships. When God is for you, no one can be against you. And it's about an assurance that you are in his presence, that you are his child, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's promised that he will do what he said he's gonna do and it's all gonna come true. It's all gonna work out. That now you can know his peace, his love and his joy and for all eternity you will be in his presence and you will know his peace and his joy to a level that we can't even explain now. That's the good news. Is that not awesome? If it is, you need to stand up and clap because I'm telling you it's good news. The good news is life changing. The good news is powerful. The good news is freedom and joy. Come on church, let's sing. Oh,